custom for the church to be crowned King Charles and Queen Camilla were nowhere to be found. The scandal, the newsflash, the what is going on would, would just it just would just fill everything. There would be all kinds of uh, conspiracy thoughts, all kinds of what has happened, and you know it just it would just blow everyone's mind if when they opened up the carriage there was nobody in it. Way back, 3,000 years ago, give or take a day, when Israel was ready to anoint their king, celebrate their king, there was no king. They didn't know where he was. They had chosen him because he was handsome, had a commanding presence, head and shoulders above everybody else. But when, in a sense, they opened the door to the carriage, there was no one there. We read about that in 1 Samuel. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribes of Benjamin were taken by Lot. They, it was almost like if those of you who know the story of Achan, when they were trying to find uh, the person who had taken uh, some things from Jericho, some treasure from Jericho, and that was disrupting everything because there was disobedience, sin in the camp. Uh, they did it by lot. They had everyone gathered and just kept narrowing it down, narrowing it down. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clans of Matt Wrights was taken by lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. What do you do? He's not around. They don't know. Now, what I do, and it's kind of creepy, when my family members, I can't find them, I put my phone on. This is my mother-in-law's location this morning at 10 of 8. She's in Plymouth, right at our house. I can tell that. And uh, it gets even creepier because I can do that with my daughters. I know where they are, where they are on the highway, and, and they know where I am. It's a great tool, but uh, we know where each other are. Just I can tell when Cindy's leaving work and starts her drive down so I can make sure all the dishes are out of the sink. No, whatever, you know. It just beeps, you know, and she's left the school and she's on her way. But when it came to Saul, they didn't know what to do, so they had to seek out the Lord. Where is Saul, our king? Read on. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran out and took him from there, and when they stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders up. We've heard about that. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Wow, so some of the ceremony you might have gotten glimpses of yesterday goes all the way back to the Older Testament. It goes all the way back to the anointing. There's special oil. If you saw, they, they anointed uh, king and the queen behind uh, like a, a, a shield kind of thing, so no one could see what was going on. But that oil came from Israel. It's all part of the thing. This is, has ripple effects even into today. So what's going on? Why does Saul do that? We need to buckle up because I'm going to move pretty quick. 
but uh, why does Saul do that? Why, some have said, oh, it's because he was so humble, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and that could be. Some have said that it was because he was afraid. He was afraid of what he was going to become. I mean, he's 30 years old, and he's the first king. Uh, yes, there's Deuteronomy 17 that talks about how to conduct yourself, but it's vague on some things, very clear on other things. So when it comes to the workings of a king, what is he to do? He knows where his heart is to be and how to govern that. But when it comes to the specifics, he, he doesn't know. So why does he hide in the baggage? So I've thought about the life of Saul, and we're going to kind of give a bird's eye view and then get back into it in the weeks uh, to come. Specific stories, but I think it's because he's afraid. And if you track his life, it seems that fear directs his life constantly. He's afraid of that. Uh, he's afraid of his people. He's afraid of the Philistines. He's afraid, 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 afraid. And it affects the way he acts. And in some time, he threw a switch where he said, Because I'm afraid, I will act like I'm not afraid. Have you ever met someone who's very confident? <clears throat> they act like they know what they're doing, but they know they don't know what they're doing. You think they know what they're doing because they're confident and they're pushy, but as time goes on, you realize they're as clueless as you. So <clears throat> Saul, overcoming that, not overcoming the fear, his response to the fear is always there. And it's really a shame because God has anointed him. Uh, God has, uh, will show him that uh, this is his job. Yet there's this fear that just doesn't go away. Even in later years, it's, no, but all you are plotting against me. None of you told me about my son, Jonathan. This is his son uh, who loves uh, David. Uh, we'll again talk about that in the future. And the agreement he has made with the son of Jesse, David again, no, none of you cares enough to tell me that my own son, Joth Jonathan, encouraged David to turn against me and attack me. And that is what David is doing now, and that is totally paranoia. That is not what David ever did. David was one of Saul, um, Saul's greatest supporters. He, did, he, he kept things going. He served his king well. And as we know from other stories, he wouldn't even lift a hand against him, even after God had rejected Saul's leadership and said, David, you're going to be the next king. So this fear, sometimes I think you and I can let our lives be governed by fear. Financial fear, relational fear, world fear. Uh, just the fear goes on and on. We're getting off COVID fear, all these things, being feeling vulnerable. Uh, we hear stories about, you know, people being attacked and hurt, fear to go to the mall. Now, I'm sure that mall in Texas will not have people showing up that often for the next whatever because everyone's, it's, it's, it's been a shock, it, as it should be. There, there's fear, and there's this tension between being wise and being fearful, doesn't mean you stick your head in the sand and don't look at what's going on around you. But does fear rule your heart? Saul, it would mark his, king, mark his rule uh, 
forty two years of rule and it's just fearful 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 thing when he is by himself in the quietness of his mind he is scared all the time he's scared to lose power he just goes on and on and so when we think about someone three thousand years ago so what does saul have to offer us we have to ask ourselves what is controlling and directing our life and could it ever be fear if you're a christ follower doesn't mean life is now fake and not real but it means that you have a way to process your fear it gets interesting god says he's going to be with saul samuel tells him that uh, he he has three signs we're not going to get into reading them all there's three signs that just show he's to be the anointed king he has all this evidence but he 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 kind of like forgets the evidence and if you've said yes to christ there is evidence that uh, he is with you. We'll talk about that. Timothy, little lacked a little confidence. Paul writes to him. Paul is his like father in the faith. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardness or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. I love that. Because when you and I let fear govern our lives, sound judgment and personal discipline can go out the window. Abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. You respond to life, not react to life. You don't freak out. You know God is there with you. You know the Spirit is joins your life. Holy Spirit indwells you. And you have his guidance if you want to listen to it so you can walk through those areas that unnerve you initially. And you go, wait a minute. My heavenly father knows me. I can walk through this with strength and with peace. Now, fear can be a good thing. One writer says this. Fear is God's built-in alarm system to let me know that I do not love God and the others as the Bible says I should. Now, you know, it doesn't say that I don't love God, but it knows there's something else in your spirit. In a sense, it's a, a recalibration of your heart. What does fear mean? Fear means something. I talk about this often. The warning lights on the dashboard of your life, when you have the emotional response of fear, it means something. You don't ignore it when the engine light goes on you're not supposed to ignore it when your heat gauge goes up you're not supposed to ignore it when you have fear that's an emotion and it says i'm not in sync with god i'm not trusting god that's not to beat ourselves up but that trust that faith relaxing in him is available for the person who has said yes to christ and so fear is a built-in alarm system. It's a good thing. It's saying that when I have financial fear, it's because I'm not trusting God. Most of the time when I have financial fear, it's because I have not followed God's guidance for self-discipline with my finances. I mean, he's blessed me. He's blessed all of us. We live in the United States. No matter how tight it is for you normally, not always, but normally, you have a lot of resources to, to uh, juggle and work with, and God gives those to you. So when I have fear in that area, it says something to me. 
when I have fear about my children, it says something to me. What does it say? Fear. Have I, have I invested in their lives so in such a way so that when they get into situations, I have a little bit more confidence that they're going to make good decisions? Some of that's me. Not all of it, but some of it's me. So all these fears, you know, they mean something. We need to check in. And, and it, it means something for a Christ follower. Something's out of alignment spiritually in my life when fear captivates me rather than being in holy awe of what Christ has done for me. Our surroundings cannot hold us from God and keep us from realizing all that God has for us. Christ followers have nothing to fear. I'm not going to take a time. This is homework for you. Read Romans 8, 31 through 30 about this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And I'm sure Christ followers that find themselves in prisons even today uh, taking uh, just unbelievable abuse live out of a Romans 8, 31 capacity. And yet I can be fearful about something that's so minor than that. I cannot imagine to be in a situation like that. Christ followers have nothing to fear. Our eternity is secure. We've said, yes, we'll walk from this chapter of life into the next, and we're with him. And then someday there's a new heavens and a new earth on the horizon. You can study that on your own. So, Saul. Saul, we see Saul's consecration. This is him being set apart, his anointing. And they take a flask of oil, and they olive oil, and they anoint him in Saul's head. And uh, Samuel kisses him. And has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Uh, God set him apart. And the beauty of the New Testament of Christ and that new covenant, that new agreement that was formed in the shedding of his blood that we just celebrated, we remembered, is that for his service. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you are set aside for his holiness, set aside to him. You are a utensil in his hand. And everyone in this room, everyone online has something to offer. You have something to offer. That is fantastic news. If you go, man, I wish I could do something to make a difference. I wish I could do. You, God has given you that. You have. It's. It could be something that on on human sales seems small, but it's not. You have something to offer. You have a piece of the puzzle of His beauty of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, also referred to. That piece piece finishes in a sense. The puzzle, and a puzzle with a piece missing doesn't look good. Puzzle with two pieces missing doesn't look good. Four or five pieces missing really doesn't look good. We all have a role to play in creating this beautiful panoramic view that points to Christ and the life that he changes with us. Read this last week. Some of us are reading a book called All In uh, by Mark Patterson. Says the word consecrate means to set yourself apart. By definition, consecration demands full devotion. Some of us go, ooh, that's too much. Full life comes with full devotion. 
Christ doesn't take from us. He gives to us. We've already talked about that. He's the giving king, not the taxing king, not the taking king. He's the giving king. And so in response to that, we give him our lives. It's dethroning yourself and crowning Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And uh, I love having a Savior. Sometimes I don't like having a Lord. I kind of do my own thing. And I don't trust him. I fear. I go, wow, if I live the way you want me to live in this area, I'm going to lose something rather than gain something. And I need to say I trust him. I'm going to dethrone myself. For me, I'm sure none of you are like this. I have to sometimes dethrone myself like every minute. You know, oh, man, I'm back to, you know, minute, 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 minute. You know, I just, you know, you know, distracted. And all of a sudden I'm going in a no, 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 no. Dethroning and crowning him as Lord. We see that Saul has opportunities. When he's anointed, they say when these confirming signs, there's three of them, you can go back and look at that, are accomplished, you know that you're ready. Whatever your job you're given to do, do it. God is with you. And what is amazing about Saul is when that happens, there's this idea that there's this garrison of Philistines who have been terrorizing his people because now Saul's king, right? And he doesn't do anything. We're going to find him later on. He's back home in his hometown, back out gardening, doing farm work, which is great work, but he's supposed to be king. He went back to what was comfortable. He went back to what was easy. He doesn't take his example. I've been harping on Ephesians 8 through 9 and then 10. I want to highlight, for we are his workmanship, his own masterwork. You're a piece of work, <laughs> a work of art. Create in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used. Do you feel ready to be used? Ready to use for good works, not to earn your salvation, not to earn his love, but to celebrate it, which God has prepared for us beforehand. They're all like up in heaven, like getting ready to be shot down to us. Okay, here's good work number five. Here's work number eight. And they're just there for us taking paths which he has set so that we would walk in them, living the good life. It's the good life following Christ. It's better with Christ than apart from Christ. Living the good life, which he has prearranged and made ready for us. Saul's good life was to go get some Philistines. What is your thing to do? Some of the other translations, it says, do what your hands find to do, what you are made to do. Around here, we talk about saying yes, not to get things done, but to uh, fulfill who you are. Uh, one of the parts about being a part of a local church is you get to bring who you are to the table, and it actually enriches your life as it enriches the church of God. And then you're to be serving in your community, where you live, at home, all those places. And uh, there's just great opportunities for that. So we've already talked about this. Saul's core weakness is fear. Fear that eclipsed not following God's clear directions. 
He's afraid to follow God's directions over and over and over again. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And it has, it has momentum until finally he's set apart, if you will. Fortunately, God's grace, I, I don't even know. I, I think if Saul had repented inside, not just got his hand slapped and go, oh, I don't like the consequences of this. I'll try to do better. And then he slips back into it. I think if he really had a moment where he tried to change the way he navigated, I, you know, who knows what would have happened. David still would have been king. Jonathan would have embraced it because Jonathan didn't care about that. And it could have been a transition, but uh, Saul was so afraid. Again, he thought everybody was out to get him. His fear included being uh, fear of being king. There was insecurity with that. Uh, there was fear of the Philistines. For us, uh, sometimes we're fearful of just people who resist us, um, are antagonistic towards us. And, and uh, this, that, that kind of like drives our lives. Uh, and it, it doesn't need to drive our lives. We don't need to be afraid of that. Uh, Fear of his own people and in his image, and he wanted to look kingly even and have nobility that really wasn't in his heart. And, you know, it's hard to play that game. It's hard to play a game of presenting yourself as somebody you are not, especially when it's values and character. Greatest thing to do with that is change your character, change your inside, and God will help you embrace the change he wants within you so it comes out as he wants it to come out. So he was fear of his own people because he was afraid of who he was. He had to have this image because he was king, but he didn't really feel that way. And then fear of those closest to him, Jonathan, David, uh, some of his counselors, and uh, he just wouldn't be transparent. He just wouldn't share what was heavy on his heart where he needed to needed help. He needed someone to help him carry on. He needed people to sharpen his life, and, and he just wouldn't be transparent. And those closest to him, he was afraid. And then lastly, he was afraid of his own God. And you say, doesn't the Bible talk about being fearful of God? There's a, there's a, there's a transition. There's an understanding. Uh, he wasn't confident in following God's lead, and he also was afraid of him like it's God. And we're going to see as we unpack this that there are times where God just says, you know, I'm, I'm, you, you ignore me, and because you ignore me, this situation, you, you can fly on your own. You can see how that works for you. Fly, try it. Try, try ignoring me and, you know, and just go do it. And uh, it just created turmoil in his life. But really, there needs to be a fear transition in our life. Uh, Hebrews talks to us and says it's fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's God Almighty, not taking him for granted, uh, understanding that he holds our eternity in his hands. Heaven, hell, it's in his hands. The work of Christ frees us from that. We sung a song about freedom. So there is a fear of this, and that's okay. But the fear goes farther than that. It then starts with God. The first step in learning is to bow down to God, to humble yourself, to follow his lead. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. And all of us have played the fool from time to time where we ignore God. We know Mark Twain, I love this, it's not the Bible verses that I don't understand that uh, make me uncomfortable. It's the ones I do understand. There's plenty in there to, to, to measure our lives against, to grow into. And so that fear shows by working, integrating uh, the Christ-following life 
into life. In Deuteronomy read, so now Israel, what do you think God expects from you? Just this. Live in his holy presence, in his holy reverence. Follow the word, world road he sets out for you. Love him, serve God, your God, with everything you have in you. And I think of that fear transition. I think of uh, having, uh, being afraid of my dad when I was young, afraid of getting spanked when I stepped out of line, punished, whatever it looked like. And so I tried to half the time toe the line. Sometimes I wasn't, uh, I thought the consequences were worth the crime. But anyway, uh, you know, this fear of him, uh, fear of punishment, fear of discipline, and then somewhere along the line, in my mid-50s, no, earlier than that, it changed where I wanted to make my dad happy, not because of punishment, but because I love him and I want to please him. And Christ follower, that maybe the fear of God catches your attention. Hell, heaven, all those kinds of things. God getting after you. But as your relationship matures with Christ, it ought to transform from being afraid to God to having a healthy respect for him where you want to follow him, not because you think he's going to slap you down, but because you love him and want to please him with everything you have. So we pick on Saul a little bit. All of us can see how can fear can uh, govern our lives, but also uh, the side question here is, uh, what is your core witness or weakness? Uh, his is fear. It affects you. You might have something else, uh, something else that just, just weighs heavy on your soul, and you, you may even know exactly what it is right in this moment. Uh, fear, trust. Uh, whatever it may be, belief, um, just uh, following God's work in your life. Maybe there's a component in your life, there's a closet in your life that uh, nobody knows, God knows, but you think he doesn't know, and you just it's a weakness, and it's rippling into your whole life. Maybe it's some kind of substance abuse, whatever it may be. What is your weakness? You see, don't let the weakness in you affect the greatness in you. And you're going to say, wow, is that like a positive thinking? Absolutely not. In your notes, you have a blank. Don't let the weakness in you, name it, whatever that is, affect the greatness, God's presence in you. God has joined your life if you've said yes to him. Wherever you go, he goes with you is awesome. Now, in your Think It Over section on your uh, program, there's a section called uh, Faith Over Fear, Nine Choices You Can Make Instead of Panicking. And uh, you've got that, just a uh, black text, a uh, couple pages in your program. Uh, you can get it online. It's got all the pictures with it. But I would encourage you, uh, this can apply to any weakness, Unpack it. And what I loved about this site is after each step along the way, after each of these kinds of steps, it gives you tangible things you can actually incorporate in your life to start to see this weakness get flushed out of your life, whatever it may be. There's nine of them, and they're really well done. So I encourage you to take a look at that. 
So as we round things up, don't let weakness in your life affect the greatness in your life, and that's the presence of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love this morning. We thank you that we get to come to uh, gather and celebrate you, come to the Lord's table uh, in uh, holy awe and have it recalibrate our hearts. We thank you for uh, Saul's example to us, that it shows us a way not to go. Uh, We ask that we would be honest with you and those closest to us where our weaknesses are and there would be transformation and change. I pray and I really hope that folks will not just uh, let the ideas settle and go, oh, that was a pretty good message, maybe, and, uh, but they will actually do the footwork of digging into this this week and seeing how those nine steps can help them have traction in their lives. We thank you for your love and ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.